Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Mark Cuban. How you do anything is how you do everything. If you're not, if you don't pay attention to detail on the little things, you're not going to be in the habit of paying attention to detail for the big things. Ken Griffey Jr. Hey, he wears his hat backwards. Well, I wear my hat backwards because my dad had a fro and I wanted to wear his hat. And if I put his hat on at age six and, you know, he's got a eight and a half and I got like a little five, it's not going to really stay on my head. Jeannie Buss. Thank you for having me. What a nice turnout. It's good to see everyone. John Smoltz. Is if you don't have the imagination and the willingness to fail or not being afraid to fail, I don't think you can be truly great. Candace Parker. I have had so much hope for this generation coming up that have grown up with women in sports, in leadership roles, on television, speaking about sports, speaking knowledgeably about sports. Pau Gasol. To me, all the work that I've done, all the humanitarian work that I've done has always given me great perspective, has allowed me to keep my feet on the ground and uh, has really put and reminded me what's truly important. Damian Lillard. That was for Seattle. (laughs) (laughs) Just to name a few. Welcome to Sports Business Radio. Now, here's Brian Berger. Well, thanks for joining us on this edition of Sports Business Radio, powered by our friends at Malka Sports. You can find more about them at M-A-L-K-A-Sports.com. I'm joined by my friend, and the co-founder of Sports Business Radio, longtime sports business executive, Keith Foreman. He's going to join me this week for a conversation about the state of Major League Baseball. We know there's a work stoppage. Will they get a deal done? But even more so, is baseball even resonating with the younger generation? Are they going to resonate with fans if there's a lengthy work stoppage? We'll talk about Major League Baseball with Keith Foreman on our show this week. I'm joined by executive producer Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? I'm doing good, and uh, there's never any shortage of uh, stuff to talk about with MLB as of late, so a uh, good conversation with Keith today. You guys are always fun, too, because you have such a history, so fun hearing you go back and forth and just you know swap stories and uh, talk about baseball. Good stuff. Yeah, for our audience who may not know, Keith and I went to Loyola Marymount University together, and we went through something that not many people go through. Hopefully, no one will go through it in the future, but we were calling the game on radio the night that Loyola Marymount star Hank Gathers collapsed and died. Last week was the 32-year anniversary of that date. And uh, I'll never forget it. As long as I live, Griggs, uh, I was a student broadcaster at Loyola Marymount. And uh, there have been movies and books and ESPN 30 for 30s about it. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those moments that you always remember. And, uh, you know, it was a great run by the LMU Lions after that tragedy, but uh, gosh, it makes you grow up pretty fast when you see someone uh, collapse and die right in front of you and you're on the air calling it and describing it for all of Los Angeles. Well, that's the thing, too. I mean, not only were you there, but you're trying to, you know, give the radio audience what's going on. And uh, as it's happening in real time, it's incredible. In 32 years, that is just shocking that that has been that long. Yeah. If you go back into the Sports Business Radio vault, you can hear that we did a show. I actually retweeted the link. 
uh, recently at SB Radio. But we did a show, gosh, uh, about 20 years afterwards. So 12 years ago, and we interviewed Bo Kimball and Jeff Fryer and Terrell Lowry and um, people like that who were part of that team. And then in the last year, I did 90 minutes with Coach Paul Westhead, who was the coach of that team. He won an NBA championship with the Lakers. He won a WNBA championship with the Phoenix Mercury. If you're watching uh, Winning Time on HBO, uh, <laughs> you're seeing the story of that Lakers team. And uh, it's a good show. It's an entertaining show. But uh, Jason Segal is playing Paul Westhead. So I get a kick out of watching that. And uh, also Chip Schaefer, who was the trainer of that team and really the first person who rushed to the aid of Hank Gathers and went on to work with Phil Jackson and the Lakers and Phil Jackson with the Bulls and has won many, many rings. He also joined me for a lengthy conversation about a year ago. So if you go into the vault, there's lots of good stuff in our vault. And, uh, you know, Greg's a trip down memory lane with all those conversations. Well, you know, and you talk about interviewing Bo and the other players and even that show you talked about 12 years ago, it's still emotional. These guys still have a hard time talking about it because it was so real and raw and uh, not only a teammate, but a best friend out there. And uh, man, just a crazy experience for everybody involved, for sure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, it's just one of those moments that you remember where you were. You remember the emotions. I still have a hard time watching the video of him backing up to half court and then just going down in a heap and collapsing and having convulsions. Like it's just, you know, and you could hear a pin drop in the arena that night. And uh, I went down to the hospital and was there when they pronounced him dead. And, you know, was this is back in the day where there weren't cell phones. So, you know, people were literally calling me on a pay phone at the hospital in the hallway. And I was doing interviews, letting Los Angeles know that Hank Gathers had died. And again, I'm a student. Like, you know, I'm not a seasoned uh, journalist or someone who has as many reps under my belt as I have now. And, you know, it, it was a it was a crazy, crazy uh, night and few weeks. But, you know, there's definitely a bond that exists back in 2020. A lot of us got together for the statue unveiling of Hank Gathers on the Loyola Marymount campus. And you know, there's a bond. We could go years without seeing each other and we get together and, you know, you're right back where you were back in 1990 and that bond exists. I keep in touch with a lot of those guys and obviously with Coach Westhead and with Chip Schaefer. So, you know, because of a traumatic experience, that bond has grown even tighter between us. Yeah. And I mean, we did a show back a couple of years ago, went down to the campus down there and you can feel it even just being there this year, you know, this many years later, I'd never been there, but you see the bench outside the gym with all the, uh, you know, the signatures and things on it. And then, like you said, the unveiling of the statue, that whole campus kind of is, you know, about that, that whole night. There's a lot there that you can see it when you just go to the campus. All right, Griggs, before we get to headlines, I want to tell our listeners about a partner that we're excited to be working with. It's Athletic Greens. I started taking Athletic Greens because I wanted more energy. I was tired of trying to find the right multivitamin or create the right smoothie or salad every day. I don't have time to figure out what vitamins I'm putting in, and I just wanted a one-stop shop. I wanted something that tastes good. So with Athletic Greens, with one scoop every morning, I'm absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food source, superfoods probiotics, and adaptogens to help start my day right. You can do this too. It contains less than one gram of sugar, no GMOs, no nasty chemicals or artificial anything, and it still tastes good. 
It supports better sleep quality and recovery and also supports mental clarity and alertness. Your subscription comes with a year's supply of vitamin D, which is so important to add in these winter months when we don't get as much sunlight. It costs you less than $3 a day. You're investing in your health, and it's cheaper than your cold brew habit. Additionally, for every purchase, they donate to organizations helping to get nutritious food to kids in need, including No Kid Hungry here in the U.S. In 2020, Athletic Greens donated over 1.2 million meals to kids. Athletic Greens has over 7,000 five-star reviews. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five travel packets with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com backslash SBR, like Sports Business Radio. Again, that's athleticgreens.com backslash SBR to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. Well, Griggs, our top headline of the week, the story just came in seconds ago. The verdict is in. Aaron Rodgers is staying with the Green Bay Packers. And Griggs, I would too. For four years, $200 million, $153 million in guaranteed money. That's what the back-to-back NFL MVP just secured with the Packers. So give the Packers credit. Like They are going for it. They know there's a, a brief window remaining with Aaron Rodgers as the top flight quarterback. Uh, they're rearranging their salary cap space, but uh, $153 million guaranteed. Four years, $200 million overall. The highest paid player in NFL history, Griggs. Well, yep. We kind of called that he was going to be the guy that was going to be making the most cash, and here we go. I mean, that is quite the deal, and credit to the Packers. Like you said, I mean, look, he is a proven winner. He goes out there and wins the big games. He's a great player. He works well with Devontae. I mean, yeah, it's a no-brainer, and it's a good deal for them, and uh, Packers should be a big-time big time team the next four years. When you look at the rest of that division, it's just in shambles. So Green Bay, as long as Aaron Rodgers is healthy, should win that division pretty easily. If he went to Denver, which is what most people thought he might do, you know, you've got Patrick Mahomes and Derek Carr and Justin Herbert, and it's a much tougher division. So... He's staying home. I think this is good for the NFL. It's good when the Packers are relevant. Um, it gives you a few more years if you're the Packers to try and find his backup if it's not Jordan Love. But now you wonder, like, what do the Denver Broncos and teams like that do? Uh, does Deshaun Watson come into play as an option for the Broncos and some of these other teams looking for a quarterback? But Griggs, that is a lot of money. If you're at Aaron Rodgers' house, they're backing up the Brinks truck, bringing you $200 million for four years. Yeah, not bad. He's having a good morning this morning, I'm sure. That's a, that's a good uh, pen to grab and a good ink to sign because uh, $200 million, it's got to feel nice. All right, Griggs, another headline. This was an interesting story. Kind of came out of nowhere. We hadn't heard anything about it. NFL officials determined that Falcons wide receiver Calvin Ridley placed multiple bets on games late last year in November of 2021, and it included betting on the Falcons to win. He was away from the team over a five-day period when he placed these bets. Uh, The investigation said there was no other involvement from any team players or coaches. He placed the bets via his mobile device out of state. And he bet about $1,500. Well, Griggs, this might be the 
the baddest beat of them all. <laughs> you bet $1,500 you're getting suspended for the 2022 season. That's going to cost Calvin Ridley about $11 million. So those are some expensive bets. I get why the NFL is cracking down, but I also think it's ironic that the NFL is out making you know multi-billion dollar deals with betting partners and uh, Calvin Ridley get suspended for a season. There's also those out there that are saying, gosh, you're getting suspended for a season when, you know, others have done far worse with domestic violence and other things. And they got suspended for half as long. So the NFL taking a lot of heat, but uh, it's an interesting story, Griggs. Yeah, I think um, it is. I mean, and like you said, there's so many, there's so much corruption with the sports in, in general and the NFL's probably got more than anybody. And, you know, this is the one they kind of choose to pull out of the woodwork and, and, you know, set the penalty, but uh, I guess you got to know the rules. We've talked about everything's on the record. This day and age, everything's digital. There's footprint for it everywhere, so uh, you can probably get caught pretty quick and pretty easily if somebody investigates. So I guess it's a big, big mistake he's going to learn. Well, this is a slippery slope for the NFL and for all the sports leagues who, you know, 10 years ago, even five years ago, you know, it was it was uh, not good business for them. They refused to do business with the sports gambling sites and the casinos and sports betting. Well, now there's so much money that they're allowing it to happen. But the worst thing that can happen for the integrity of these leagues is if you find out that the players who are in the games or the coaches are affecting the outcome. You know, are you on the take and you're going to do something that's going to impact the outcome of the game. So the integrity of the game is what's most important, but you've got so many players and coaches in these leagues. How do you get to each one of them to make sure that there's not any funny business going on? So, you know, it doesn't sound like there's funny business going on with Calvin Ridley. Again, he was away from the team. He wasn't impacting the outcome of the games. He bet on his team to win, not to lose, but still the optics of it, um, are not good. So, you know, what will the NFL and other leagues, frankly, who should be taking note of this do to make sure the integrity of the games, it's, it's you know, what it's supposed to be and no one's on the take because of uh, sports betting outcomes, Griggs. Yeah, and it's a fine line, like you mentioned, uh, because so many of these big leagues are starting to sign on with MGM and, you know, DraftKings and all these, these uh, betting companies. And then if you can't bet and like you said, integrity of the game, keeping it, you know, consistent, it's a fine line. It's going to really be a developing story, I think, as more and more of these leagues sign up with bigger betting partners. All right, Griggs, another headline. Major League Baseball labor talks are scheduled to continue today. Today is really the last gasp effort to try and work out a deal and still play a 162 game season. If they can't work things out soon, that's probably out of the question. One thing we know that's already been lost is spring training. So according to the Wall Street Journal, the Major League Baseball lockout could cost spring training communities in Arizona and Florida more than $1.3 billion. That's a lot of money. Both states reported economic impacts of more than $600 million during spring training previously. Each state hosts over 1.5 million fans in the spring. That's a 50% increase from out of state. So they get a lot of tourists coming into Arizona and Florida. That's all been lost. Think of the hotels, the restaurants, obviously the facilities in those areas, all the people that work uh, to bring spring training to Arizona and Florida. It's a lot of money that's been lost, Griggs. Yeah, it's a lot of jobs too. I mean, these communities, they hire these people to come in here, like you said, with the staff of hotels and uh, just getting the players around and 
getting the fields ready and everything that's involved. It's the ripple effect. It affects more than just a baseball team. It affects a whole community. So I don't know. I, I kind of on the fence. I'm 50 50 if they're going to get a deal done today. I don't really feel like it's going to happen, but uh, hopefully they can. You're more optimistic than me. I'm going to put it at about 10% that they get a deal done. I just think they have way too many issues, and we'll discuss that more with Keith Foreman coming up here in a few minutes. Uh, What else do we have here? Coach K loses his last game at Duke's Cameron Indoor Stadium, 94 to 81. Tickets went for as high as $79,000. A lot of former Duke basketball greats in attendance, including Christian Leitner and JJ Redick and Grant Hill. Griggs, did you watch the game? It was awesome. I was I was glued the whole time and uh, just fun to watch the crowd. And what a cool, you know, the ceremony before with the uh, 200 or whatever players that came back. That was so cool. And uh, out on the floor. And uh, it was just a great experience. I'm sad he lost. However, after the game, when he came out and dropped the mic and said, that was awful. I love it. Awesome. I mean, I'll tell you, North Carolina didn't get the memo, right? Like they... <laughs> They came in and just put a whooping on Duke. And I don't know if the players were like caught up in the emotion or if they were nervous playing in front of the past Duke greats, but uh, they laid an egg in that game. And the Tar Heels came in and uh, give Hubert Davis and his team a lot of credit because they didn't go along with the script, which was, you know, lay down and let Duke win in Coach K's last game at Cameron Indoor. So, It was a pretty compelling storyline. You kept thinking, all right, Duke's going to kick it into gear. They're going to win this game. It's going to be a storybook ending for Coach K, but it never happened. As a matter of fact, the the deficit got wider and wider. So, um, but it was interesting. And, you know, I think they did a nice job with uh, the coverage on ESPN. And, you know, it was cool to see people like Dirk Nowitzki in the stands. And he's like, hey, I've never been to a game at Cameron Indoor. So I'm going to come to the last game that coach K is going to be here. He knows coach K from international basketball play. And um, so I just thought it was cool to see some of the people that were there. You saw, you know, Adam Silver sitting next to Jerry Seinfeld. Adam Silver went to Duke, the commissioner of the NBA. So um, there was a lot of star power in Cameron Indoor that night for the final game for coach K at Cameron Indoor. Yeah, Kyler Murray was there too, a bunch of other celebs. Uh, yeah, it was just a cool atmosphere. What a cool stadium too. I mean, outside it looks awesome. Inside it looks phenomenal. I would have loved to go to game during Coach K's realm, but uh, didn't make it. But yeah, I thought it was cool too. I, I didn't realize some of those students camped out since January to get tickets to that game. Wow. <laughs> you got to be a diehard to camp out for what, two months? I mean, I don't think there's anything I would camp out that long for. Not food, not an event. Can you think of anything that you would wait two months for outside and, and sleep in a tent for? No way. I mean, I might do like night before just because it'd be kind of fun. But yeah, two months. No way. Yeah. All right. Before we get to our interview with Keith Foreman, I want to tell you that Underdog Fantasy is the official gaming partner of Sports Business Radio. It's the fastest growing fantasy app ever released. They've got investors that include Mark Cuban, Kevin Durant, Adam Schefter and Jared Goff. The Underdog Fantasy app is available at underdogfantasy.com. It's also available on iOS and Android. Once you've downloaded the app, you can draft your team in minutes to win real cash prizes. Underdog's primary draft-based game is called Best Ball. It's an innovative form of season-long fantasy that requires no management after the draft. Participants simply draft their 20-player teams, and each week they receive the points at each starting lineup spot for the players who scored the most points. There's no worries about setting your lineup, making trades, or working waiver wires to deal with. 
You just draft your team and that's it. Underdog also offers player pick'em games, including rivals, which is head-to-head player matchups and over-unders, as well as daily, weekly drafts. There's also battle royale tournaments and more. We've got a special offer for Sports Business Radio listeners. New users get up to $100 matched on their first deposit when they use the code SBR, like Sports Business Radio. So download the app at underdogfantasy.com and then enter the promo code SBR to get up to $100 to play with. Griggs, have you been playing underdog fantasy? I've been doing a lot of over-unders and rivals, and um, you and I still need to do like uh, an NBA, Major League Baseball, and NFL draft with some of our friends. Maybe we'll get some listeners involved. But uh, I've been enjoying the the pick'em and the rivals features on the underdog fantasy app. Yeah, it's so fun. I really enjoy the pick'em. I'll uh, sit down and watch a, a fun game, an NBA game or whatever, and you know, pick up five or six different picks who I think is going to be over under. It's just so simple to use. It's fun to watch. It's interactive, and then you uh, can win some cash or you know, at least have fun doing it. You don't have to put a ton of money in, so you can do five bucks here, ten bucks here, and it's uh, it's fun. I enjoy it a lot. All right, I'll, I'll give our listeners. Not that I'm a a gambling expert, but on the over under, Griggs, I've been hitting the Russell Westbrook points, rebounds, and assists. The under, I've been hitting that hard because he has not been playing well. And if there's a blowout, he's on the bench. So I've been hitting that hard. And then I've been hitting the CJ McCollum over on his points. And that's been working out well because he's been doing really well since he got traded from the Blazers to the New Orleans Pelicans. So those are kind of my two that I throw in as often as I can. You've got to have at least two minimum picks uh, on Pick'em and Rivals, but those are the two that I've kind of been hitting hard lately. Yeah, John Morant is my big one for over because he's just been yeah. killing it. He's my guy, yeah. so he, I've been doing well with him. And uh, actually, Embiid's been doing well, too, with the rebounds and the points. So that's a good one, too. The other one on the over is that Luka Doncic. If you do points, rebounds, and assists, I mean, he's on fire. Like, he's blowing away his over on most nights, and so is uh, Nikola Jokic. So those are two good overs as well. So, all right, we just gave our listeners some some good uh, free advice there. Go to underdogfantasy.com, download the app, and enter the promo code SBR. You get a free $100 to play with. So thank us for the, the 100 bucks. All right, coming up next, Keith Foreman, co-founder of Sports Business Radio. We're going to discuss a variety of topics, but the state of Major League Baseball is one of them. Also, you know, information and having it shared in this day and age. Like we just said, we're waiting around for Aaron Rodgers. How's he going to share that information? He's probably not sitting down with Jim Gray, like you said, Griggs. He's probably sharing this on Instagram, on Twitter, on one of his own platforms. He doesn't need the media to share that information. So uh, we'll discuss that with Keith Foreman. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Well, I'm joined on this edition of Sports Business Radio by Sports Business Radio co-founder and friend, Keith Foreman. Keith has been on with me many times before. Love getting his perspective. He's worked in the sports industry for a couple decades, and we called the games together at Loyola Marymount. This was an interesting week for us, the 32nd anniversary of the death of the late Hank Gathers, who led the nation in scoring and rebounding at Loyola Marymount. So that's how Keith and I got to know each other. We started Sports Business Radio gosh, 18 years ago, if you can believe that. And just love getting his perspective. Keith, welcome to the pod. Thanks, Brian. We are still friends, indeed, after all these years. And 18 years ago, that was back when there were like seven podcasts, I think. 
Well, there weren't even podcasts. Uh, podcast did not. So sports right. business radio started in 2004. Podcasting didn't start till 2007. But remember, Josh Blank, who is like our tech advisor, was like, hey, you guys should just throw up your shows on podcasts. And I was like, what the heck is a podcast? Yeah, you and I are both like, really? Okay, whatever, podcasts. Yeah. And he's like, well, people can listen on demand on their own time. And I'm like, okay, well, we have the recording. We might as well just throw it up on on this iTunes platform, Apple Podcasts. And then along came Spotify and Stitcher and iHeart and a million different podcast platforms that we're on now. So boy, uh, things have changed. But I want to get your perspective on a few different topics. And let's start with Major League Baseball, because as I've always said, you're one of the biggest Major League Baseball fans I know. You grew up with the Dodgers, you follow it closely, and my God, Keith, what a mess going on in Major League Baseball. And it doesn't look like we're going to have games anytime soon. And there's even people out there, and this is where I want to start, that are saying, you know what? The owners are okay with losing games in April and maybe May because the season starts off a little bit slowly other than opening day. And it's not great weather. You're not in the heart of the summer. So there's no urgency for the owners to get a deal done and that's where we are right now. Yeah, and and just, you know, to put some, I guess, some guardrails around this conversation, I'm no expert on the CBT or the LBA or the GRT <laughs> or what. I mean, it's just <laughs> my brain is so exhausted with all these deal points that keep getting batted around. And so, I, you know, as a fan, I'm, I just want my, I just want to eat my hot dog. You know, I don't care how you make it, which you don't want to watch. I just want to eat my hot dog. And I think you just see these endless conversations and articles written about the deal points because these people are so in the bubble and so close to it. But I got to think the majority of baseball fans just don't care anymore. And the biggest problem that I see as just a fan of the game for so long is that the owners today are businessmen. And they just don't seem like fans of the game the way it used to be 20, 30, 50, 80 years ago. I mean, I know that's silly, but but the point is these are just business holdings. These are assets in their massive billion dollar, you know, business portfolios. And so they're making decisions right now that, you know, benefit them financially and not the health of the game. I, I don't think the game's a very good game right now. It's hard to watch. Young players don't really get a chance to break into the league the way they used to. Fans are getting gouged. I mean, gouged. It is so hard to be a Dodger fan. It is so expensive to try to follow that team. Uh, and yet that's one of the few teams that is spending money and trying to you know, win a championship every year. So it's, it's just a mess. You know what's interesting? I want to go back to your comment about the owners. I used to work in the NBA, as most listeners know. And if there was a work stoppage, you know, your your Mark Cubans, your your there were some owners that were speaking out and they were speaking out, you know, hang with us, we want to get this done. Same thing with the NFL. I have not heard one single yeah. owner in Major League Baseball say, fans, we're sorry this is going on. Be patient with us. Like we're gonna get this figured out. We've heard some players voice uh opinions and and you know, we've even seen this week. The Major League Baseball Players Association is they've established a fund 
to contribute to workers who are vendors and concession salespeople and parking attendants who are going to lose their income. The players are doing this, not the owners. The players are doing this. So I've heard from players. I haven't heard a peep from the owners and maybe that's by design. Maybe, you know, Manfred's the one voice for major league baseball. But I think if you're passionate to your point about the game, aren't some of these owners speaking up? Well, they, they do, they really do seem completely unapologetic and, and then they hide behind maybe the worst spokesperson in the history of sport in, in, in Rob Manfred. I mean, he's got a a really difficult job. He's got half the owners don't want to spend money, you know, maybe 10 markets really do. And they're all kind of, they're all kind of talking out of both sides of their mouth. The thing that, again, going back to the, the ownership group that just upsets me so much is none of these people started these clubs. They all inherited them or bought them. And, and, you know, in so inherited history and fan bases and, and championship banners and, and the brands that each of these clubs have, you know, for, for decades, for a century. And so ultimately they're, they're just custodians of these teams that, you know, the fan bases in the cities, the markets that they're in have real emotional ownership of, and they just don't seem to care about that. And so they're, they're kind of killing off interest in the game in such a way. I mean, we live in a time now where people have learned over the last few years with this global pandemic to like get on with other things and do other things. And I just don't really see people, you know, flocking back to baseball the way I believe these owners think they will. All right. Hold that thought. Cause I want to get to that in a minute, but the owner comment that you just made, I think it's an important one to drill in on, not only for Major League Baseball, but for all pro sports. I don't care if it's here in the U.S., if it's around the world. The commissioners, Roger Goodell, Adam Silver, Rob Manfred, Gary Bettman, Kathy Engelbert, they work for the owners. They are taking the bullets for the owners. They are the ones who are running the press conferences and taking the hard questions from the reporters. And I'm not saying feel bad for the commissioners because they make a truckload of money. But what fans don't understand sometimes is if the owners wanted things to change, they would change. It's not the commissioner's job to politic all of the owners to get them to change. It's the owners as a collective. And when you have as many owners as you do in a sport, it usually requires three quarters of the owners agreeing on something, which is also not an easy task to get, all of these owners together. And like you said, to some of these owners, this is just an asset on a spreadsheet. They don't care. They just want to know, like, how is this going to affect my bottom line? And that's a sad state of the world. But I don't care if it's the NFL and what are they going to do with Dan Snyder or if it's Major League Baseball and what are you going to do to solve this work stoppage? It all comes down to the owners. And Keith, I don't think fans quite understand that. No, and even I have naively over the years, imagine that the commissioner of baseball specifically is like the ultimate protector of the game, that the commissioner's office has the, the, the best interests of the game in mind. And that's so clearly not the case right now with the current guy. Yeah. The sad thing is like, you know, I've always felt like with certain commissioners, they do have a passion for the sport and for the history and for the fan base with Rob Manfred. I just, I mean, 
you know, we talked about this last week from his nonverbal communicators of practicing his golf swing while labor negotiations are going yeah. on or stepping up to the podium of that press conference Smiling, where he canceled. Laughing. Yeah, it, it just it's terrible body language. It basically says, you know what? I don't really care. I'm just here to deliver the message of the owners. And sorry, it's bad news. If you read his transcript from that that press conference, there's not a single apology. Right. Not one word of sorrow or apology yeah. in that entire uh, uh, presser or whatever. Yeah, no, you're exactly right. And so baseball is compounding their situation by having Rob Manfred be the one voice. And the one voice is a smug voice and a voice that doesn't really have an urgency to get anything done. And, you know, again, smiling and laughing when you're stepping to the podium, practicing your golf swing. And I think fans are just like, you know what? Wake me when this thing's over. Like you said, let me eat my hot dog. <laughs> I don't need to see how the hot yeah. dog is made. And, but as you also just pointed out, and now let's jump into this is during the last couple of years, people have moved on to other things with the pandemic. And now we've got conflict going on in Russia and the Ukraine. And this stuff just doesn't have the same urgency no. or passion behind it that it used to, because there's a lot of other things going on in the world. And a lot of people have died and people have said, you know what, this is my entertainment. When I turn to this, I want to be distracted by all the other things going on in the world. So now if this is going to be full of conflict, I'm out. Yeah. I mean, it, it, we've talked a, a lot about how, you know, sports is, there's so many analogies for how sports is kind of like the, icing on the cake of life if life's going well then you know it's it's easier to enjoy sport i guess you, the flip side is if you know if life's really hard then you turn to sport as fantasy to try to you know take your mind away from the harder things and you know sport can provide that but you know things are tough you know wallets are tough jo you know the job market's changing everything's changing so quickly and and baseball especially is just so rooted in its past and and it's just become a really difficult yeah i mean i guess ultimately <laughs> there the, a game that was kind of losing you know mind share amongst all the other sports you can't argue that you know the nfl just tries to own every day of the calendar year and the nba you know is not far behind them and baseball just doesn't get the coverage or the mind share it used to and even with that they you know, they claim they're making money and they were, but going into the pandemic and then during the pandemic, they just are not uh, relevant. Well, then you go back to what we just said about Commissioner Manfred. When you have a commissioner saying, well, we're just a regional sport or, well, the World Series trophy is just a piece of metal or, well, our owners are losing money. Major League Baseball is a bad investment. It's not a good investment. Those are three sound bites that have come out of Commissioner Rob Manford's mouth. This is the spokesperson for the sport. This is the person who's supposed to be putting a shine on it and making it attractive to everyone. When you're saying those three things, you're kind of degrading your sport, aren't you? Well, and in this modern communication day, you know, you have to position your players. You have to promote your your players and keep them, you know, you know, keep keep them on, on social media platforms and, and, and all of that. And the fact that they literally wiped their own website clean of all their star players, it's just falling further and further away from people's, 
you know, presence of mind. And then, you know, like their MLB.tv is good as MLB, you know, TV technically is as an app, you know, on your your TV in the in the living room or on your phone. Um, it's just they, they've made so many mistakes in the way they allow people to consume their product. I mean, it's easier to be a Dodger fan outside of L.A. Um, than in it. And if you are lucky enough to live in L.A. and go to Dodger games, it's just, you know, you pay more to park your car at that stadium than than sometimes even to get into the stadium. Um, and so it's so it was just so tragic to watch them fumble. So they've got, you know, with MLB.tv, they auto renew your subscription every spring, usually about March 1st, right, as spring training's kicking in. Right. And I think the the word got out that that was going to happen. So you kind of saw this little movement online where people were canceling their MLB subscriptions of $150 a year because they knew MLB was going to auto renew. And literally on March 1st, MLB comes out and says, oh, because of the current situation, we're not going to renew. Well, how many hundreds of thousands of people canceled before they came out with that statement? It's just, it's just bad management. Yeah. The other thing about baseball is I wonder if in its current form, it is passing by our next generation. So you and I have teens. Their consumption habits are completely different than ours. We would sit at a game. You are hardcore. You would keep score. You know, it's no problem sitting there for a couple hours watching a game. Today, these kids, they want the 67 second Instagram highlight or Twitter or uh, TikTok. They don't want to sit and watch an entire game. So when I'm looking at literally passing the torch to the next generation for Major League Baseball, I'm really sitting here wondering, is this going to translate? I don't know. I, I'm going to. I think it's it's more than just that. I think the the game itself is getting harder to watch. I mean, the, just the the usage of, of a different pitcher every inning is really hard to watch. For me, watching nothing but home runs and strikeouts um, and fly ball outs are is hard to watch. You know, you don't see triples anymore. You don't see. I mean, why even pay hundreds of millions of dollars for a, a player like Mookie Betts in the outfield when? he doesn't get to make all those amazing plays or why pay 300 million for a Corey Seager up the middle. If the shift means that he's never even going to really play, you know, the natural position. It's just, the whole thing is just very odd right now. I would argue though, that, you know, at the younger end of the game, I mean, little league is still relevant. College baseball is as relevant as ever. And, you know, that's another you know, change in mind share. I think people are going to go start watching more college baseball in, in the, especially in the markets where major league baseball killed off a number of minor league teams. And then we know people are going to go to the minors uh, in the markets that are left and they're going to realize, wait a minute, I only pay seven fifty to park. Oh my God. A beer costs half of what it does at a major league park. And you just wonder if people's, you know, love of the game will just change to a simpler, more affordable version and it's just going to make it that much harder for baseball to, to to grab their fan base back. Well, and another thing that minor league baseball has done really well. I mean, look, they've had to get creative over the years. But if you look at the last 10 or 15 years, they've designed their ballparks so that people can sit on a grass berm. They can, you know, walk around. And people don't want to sit a lot of times for three hours and watch a game. They want to move around. They want to have a catch with their kid. They want to. 
eat a hot dog or an ice cream cone. They want to sit on the grass. And the minor league parks are designed for that kind of movement to take place. You go to a major league park, and sure, there's some high-top tables where you can have a drink. But for the most part, you're sitting in your seat. You're not sitting in a grass berm. And I'm just wondering, like, going forward with the minor league parks and college baseball parks and even major league baseball parks in the future – Wouldn't you design those with what I just said in mind, where you have the ability to be social at a game, you can have a catch with your kid, you know, you can engage in a number of different ways beyond just what's going on on the field? Yeah, I mean, definitely in the minor league, it's all about the experience. But I'd argue even at some in some major league markets, it's less about winning games than it is creating, you know, a full blown Disney baseball experience i mean look at what what the ricketts family's done in chicago with with wrigleyville i mean that used to be so fun to just walk in on the day of the game and and i know i'm dating myself and sit in the bleachers and have a beer and and you know but in chicago it seems like it's never really been about winning it's all been just about enjoying the day out at the ballpark and that's totally what they've created now Yeah, I mean, Wrigley is the star of the show, and that's the one constant. You know, Harry Carey's come and gone, Ryan Sandberg, uh, Mark Pryor. Like, you know, so many people have come and gone over the years from the Cubs, Rizzo, um, Chris Bryant. But now, you know, what remains? Wrigley and the experience around Wrigley. And they have dressed it up more, and they have modernized, you know, the amenities and the restaurants and the bars and the opportunities around the ballpark. And and I just think that's where we're going with sports in general. It's a little harder to do it with arenas because you're kind of indoors, but I do think people want to come to games and they want to be engaged on a number of different levels. I mean, let's just call it what it is. People have ADHD. They don't want to sit and watch something for three hours. They want to do a few different things, or they just want to sit and have a conversation with a client or a friend or a family member and may not be keeping score of the game and totally in tune with what's going on. I just think that people will still watch a three to four hour baseball game or maybe not four hours, but people will still watch a three hour and 20 minute baseball game as long as it's really interesting, exciting baseball and not 17 pitchers and six home runs and 20 strikeouts. That to me is unwatchable. And having a, what do they call it? The opener? the opener pitcher. And then, you know, right. you're going to have 17 more pitchers come out during the course right. of the game. And yeah. that's the other thing I used to think well, players should be able to play wherever they want. And it's just, it's just stupid. The shift is stupid. I mean, there's rules in, in football, certain positions cannot move or play, you know, you know, in, in certain areas of the field in order to create a, a much more competitive, uh, fun product. And, and baseball needs to, needs to lock into that as well. The other big problem, and you and I have discussed this many times on the show, is Major League Baseball does, in my opinion, as poor a job of any league in America of promoting its stars. I can't tell you three things about Mike Trout other than he's a, an amazing player. Mookie Betts, um, Shohei Otani. Like, I just don't feel like... And on the flip side, you look at the NBA players, and I feel like I know what their house looks like, and I know you know, what their favorite fashions are and, you know, NFL, they're really good at it. The the major league baseball players just are not as good at engaging on their own. And then also um, the sport doesn't really promote them beyond the field. Like we may know, oh, they're great with home runs or, you know, Tani is a great two-way player, but 
everyone wants to know about these guys and women a little bit personally. And we just don't get that with baseball. No. And they don't seem to be able to grab the local or national, you know, sponsorship endorsement type deals the way they used to. I feel like baseball had probably the most intimate relationship, you know, with newspapers and the daily beat writer from a, from a newspaper covering that team. And, you know, you just open that newspaper up 162 times during the year. It's like a book every year. And, and with newspapers, you know, dying and cutting staff the way they have, you know, I think baseball lost those really good storytellers that, that kind of kept people engaged. Um, you know, radio is another super important part of, of baseball and fans kind of, you know, keeping, keeping track of their team, you know, all year long. And, you know, you think about what's the current state of newspapers and radio. And then you think about how old the, the core fan base is for baseball. And you can see where they're, they're kind of drifting further and further behind. Yeah. Well, we had Bob Costas on last year and, you know, he did a great job of kind of outlining the future of radio. And it's certainly not what it used to be. I mean, it's pinnacle, Everyone gathered around the radio, and that was the medium to which you listen to ball games. And it's always had a great, you know, Vin Scully, what a great storyteller. You've grown up with him. and But now it's really changed, and it's it's seen as a secondary outlet. And there's no kids. There's no teens that are sitting around going, ooh, I can't wait till my favorite, favorite Major League Baseball radio broadcaster comes on today so I can listen no. to the game. They're, they're just not doing that. No, 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 no. Those days are over. So true. All right. So I want to talk to you about something else beyond Major League Baseball. Um, but let's put a bow on this. How do you think this all unfolds with Major League Baseball? Are we playing games in 2022 or are they going to lose half the season, the whole season? How does this play out? Well, I guess I'm just going to regurgitate a lot of the stuff I've read. But this whole um, the, the whole issue with the regional TV deals seems like a significant one and and maybe you can describe it better than i but there's this there's this clause with all of the clubs uh deals with their local tv carriers um that they have to start issuing refunds once they uh don't show something like 20 to 30 games it's 25 games yeah so that spells out to a month and that's a significant chunk of financial uh, pressure. In other words, I mean, we could talk about every sport in the world right now, and TV dollars are always going to be a, a huge driver for decisions made within that sport. And I think that's certainly the case uh, in baseball right now. Um, so I guess the the long and short of it is I don't see them realistically getting back for a month. And, you know, in, so it could be we what do we we lose May. April, May. So I wouldn't be surprised if this, if this thing doesn't really start until June. The other thing is spring training is so special and important. Again, speaking as a fan, and it's just disgusts me how MLB just throws out spring training like it's really not necessary. Oh, the players can get ready quickly in three weeks. And it's just, yeah, but spring training for a lot of people is the best part of the whole season. And talk about an economy, you know, in Florida and Arizona that's been just, you know, crushed because of these decisions. Um, but yeah, I don't really see baseball starting for at least another month. 
Yeah, well, you, you bring up a good point. Like, they do need some time to get into camp and train and get ready for the season. So, you know, you would think that's at least three weeks. So put three weeks on top of whenever they get a deal done. And I'm in the camp where I just don't see the urgency. And I understand the the 25-game trigger of the TV contracts. But if they had one or two core issues they were arguing about, you'd go, okay, they can meet in the middle on those. They have like 15 issues <laughs> that they're well, arguing. Not only that, but Brian, if they, if the owners really truly wanted to start the season on time, they would have started negotiating in December. Instead, they just let three months, you know, drift by. And I don't buy all this. Oh, you need the pressure of time, you know, in order to get the deal done. Of course you do. That's, that's uh, Yes, but if they really wanted to sit down and get this done, they had plenty of time to do this in the offseason. They chose not to. Well, and they've seen this coming for a couple of years, right? So, like, if you're a good league, you go, all right, our collective bargaining agreement is coming up in two years. How do we get in front of it? How do we start having those discussions now so we're not coming down to, you know, the 11th hour and we've got pressure on ourselves and there's emotions running high and now we've got to get this deal done. I just don't see the urgency. I think there's too many issues for them to come together on. And, you know, I'm not going to put a date on it, but I don't think we're going to see major league baseball anytime soon. And and the biggest issue ultimately is trust. These two sides don't trust each. Well, I mean, the players don't trust the owners and the owners. I don't think really care about the players. I don't think they really care about the, the product on the field and they certainly don't care about their fans. Right. And, you know, again, let's go back to the commissioner in any sport. Yes, ultimately, the commissioner and his or her salary is paid by the owners. But you walk a delicate line because you don't want to make enemies with the players. And I think Rob Manford has made enemies with the players. I think it's pretty darn clear at this point. So it goes back to that trust that you talked about. When I'm watching Adam Silver interact with players or even Roger Goodell, there's a much better interaction there and somewhat of a mutual respect and that's gone with major league baseball. I'm not saying every player doesn't like Rob Manfred, but there's just a lack of trust and appreciation. And when you come at it where it's like, okay, it's the owners and the commissioner against us, the commissioner's not neutral. I think it makes it even more difficult. Yeah. Yeah, it's I mean, look, we saw this in 2020, you know, during the that first season of COVID and, you know, other leagues seem to get their act together to put together kind of an abbreviated, you know, season. Baseball did, too. But my God, did they did they struggle, you know, in in coming up with the the ground rules for that season, you know, and you had a 60 game season. And I don't know that that to me was the forebearer of this. We we saw then how contentious both sides were. And it's just completely true now well i said this last week if baseball is not very careful and i mean major league baseball they are going to lose fans by the thousands and you know they're going to come back and they're going to have half empty venues and they're going to have terrible tv ratings and people will have moved on to other things the mind share has moved on so they better not wait too long on this because if they do I think it's going to take them years to dig out of this, and they may never dig out of it. <laughs> well, I mean, t- talking about mindshare, when was the last time you flipped on any sports talk radio in the country? 
just in your car on the radio and heard anything but NFL quarterback talk 365 days a year. Right. That's why I'm wondering, like, maybe people already went to sleep for this segment because they're like, ah, oh, Major League Baseball. <laughs> right. What? I am so tired of Matt Stafford and what his situation is and Aaron Rodgers and what his situ- I mean, it just goes on and on nonstop. All right. So that's a good transition into our next topic that I want to talk to you about. And it, we'll, we'll couch it as like information sharing because, you know. I called you after all of this conflict started with Russia and the Ukraine. And don't worry, listeners, we're not going to go into politics here. But I said, and and Thomas Friedman in the New York Times basically said the same thing. We're watching this conflict unfold in real time with citizen journalists telling the story for the most part. They're on the front lines. We're not sending, you know, CNN and Fox and NBC and ABC and CBS The images that we're seeing are from people on the ground, citizens who are showing us pictures and video. And it just got me to thinking like, this is really the first war that we've seen where more of the pictures are from citizen journalists, as I call them, than they are from the news outlets. And it got me to thinking about sports and, you know, we're awaiting this decision from Aaron Rodgers. Where is he going to play? Is he going to re-sign with the Packers? Is he going to say, I want to be traded? Is he going to just outright sign as a free agent somewhere else? How does that impact Devontae Adams? A few weeks ago, you know, Tom Brady, oh, there's reports that he's going to retire. Everyone's wishing him well. And then his dad comes out and says he hasn't made up his mind. Well, then a few days later, Tom Brady on his own platform says, yes, I'm retiring. But essentially, he wanted to do it his way on his own platforms. He didn't need the media, LeBron James, if he has something big to say, he, he says it on his own platforms. He, and he's the, the interesting one of all, because remember a few years ago, the decision with Jim Gray, and he did it on ESPN, and it was a big, I need a TV network to do this. Well, now you don't need the TV network. You just go to your millions of followers on social media, and then all the media outlets pick up whatever the post is or whatever the video is or the audio. So in real time, Keith, and you know, we kind of saw this shifting during the pandemic. I'm wondering what is the role of the media? I think the media is investigative. I think they need to expose things and keep everyone honest. But the days of, okay, I sat down in the locker room next to my favorite athlete and pulled this information out of them. It's kind of over because the athletes is going to share the story on their own. They don't need the reporter to share the story anymore. Yeah. All right. So a couple of thoughts. First of all, anytime you can follow an athlete that you like and listen to their perspective, I'll take that any day of the week. That's fantastic. And the ones that are really good at it are are a joy to follow. And then you've got like this other upper echelon of, of former players that, you know, can host a podcast like a Jalen Rose or JJ Redick. Uh, and, and it's just fascinating to, to hear their perspective. They, they were on the court, they were on the field. That's who, who knows the stuff. They know the inside serious inside stories. And, and I'll take that any day of the week. Um, the problem now is that, and then of course you, you couple that with, with just the killing off of new newspapers and the really good, you know, storytellers, but now those people have have tried to move on to different platforms. So, uh, you know, if you're a real sports fan, you, 
I, I don't know how you get by without subscribing to The Athletic because that, that's where you're going to get your really good, deep, long stories. Um, and they have some of the top former, you know, newspaper columnists, you know, ever uh, writing for them. So, well, now they're under the umbrella of The New York Times, which I think gives them even more credibility because The New York Times is one of the oldest and most reputable media outlets around. Yeah. And then, you know, you've got other writers who have just kind of gone their own, you know, with their own sub stacks, right. you know, where you can subscribe like Molly Knight, you know, is a really good writer uh, for the, you know, in, in Southern California and follows the Dodgers and has written books on the Dodgers. And then what's nice about those formats is that you can, you know, pay them directly and then you could comment on their back and forth, you know, with her following, you know, and it's just, it's just kind of a nice, more interactive way uh, to follow it. But but I guess, you know, how important – well, what you have now, Brian, is the media is just becoming an interpreter of the social media news that comes out from these players. I mean, that's where they go for all their quotes, right? Right. And, you, you know, you watch these – ESPN and Fox shows and all day long, it's, Oh, let's analyze what Aaron Rodgers posted on Instagram. Let's dissect what Tom Brady meant when he said, this is Rob Gronkowski going to retire. Like it's all just pretending that you're on the inside, but you're not really on the inside. Yeah. And it also requires, um, you know, media literacy amongst your, your followers. And that's a real problem is that, you know, in this country, especially well around the world, we've so blurred the lines between what is journalism and what is clickbait. Um, you know, it's it's hard sometimes for somebody who, you know, didn't take, you know, a number of communications classes or, you know, anything in high school or college to understand the difference between something that's paid and manipulation or disinformation or propaganda um, versus something that's real, hard, investigative journalism. Well, and and I that think is a blurry, blurry line there. You're right. And, and there still is the need for investigative journalism. I think a lot of people are wondering what in the world is at the root of the Daniel Snyder, Washington commander's investigation. You know, you, you've heard 1500 pages of emails and, you know, obviously the John Gruden emails, like, an investigative outlet is going to uncover those at some point. We've seen, you know, women in sports treated improperly. That has been exposed by investigative journalists. There's still the need for that. But the day-to-day, what decision is Aaron Rodgers going to make? Uh, where's LeBron going to go play with Brawny? Like, you know, all of these things, everyone's just speculating. It's just analyzing what they're saying on their own platforms. And again, the point of this conversation is that the media has shifted and it really is controlled by the direct sources themselves, whether it's the athlete, the coach, the politician, whoever it is, they can just get on their own platforms that they've already established and go out to their millions of followers and say, Hey, this is what's going on. Well, and you know, there's some behemoths that are driving a lot of the coverage and conversation in Mindshare. I mean, ESPN is a perfect example of this. Um, you know, look at the CFP expansion conversation, right? Yeah. You have, you have to understand that C, that ESPN is a huge financial investment in the CFP, in that product. And if 
there's the opportunity to make more money or garner more ratings or just increase that that property um uh through expansion then that's what espn's gonna want and so when it kind of when when it was announced a few weeks or a month or so ago that the cfp would not be expanding anytime soon and that it was gonna you know see its way through the end of its current contract he had all these articles written that again if if you're using your media literacy tools you have to think about okay who's writing these articles where are they coming from you know, why is the SEC so upset? Why is ESPN so upset? Well, I don't know. If you're not, you know, a huge ESPN fan or in the SEC and you're somewhere else in the country, you can kind of understand why it ain't going to get expanded anytime soon. Yeah. Well, and then sometimes when you do get to the source and you're putting them on a, a media outlet, they're just going to be scripted. They're just going to have their talking points. They're just going to play defense. And you know, again, I'll use Rob Manford as the example. Like every time I hear him speak, he seems like he's someone who is scripted, not not very well, but you know, I just don't trust what he's saying coming out of his mouth. And you know, we, the other the other thing is that we are consuming so much information. Right. I mean, all we do is sit around at home and just stare at our phones everywhere we go. The 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 second you have uh downtime or you're not interacting with someone you're looking at your phone and so all of these media outlets are just beasts that are so hungry to fill their platforms with more and more and more content and you start reaching for anything that's out there and so the second one of these big you know super star athletes posts something of relative and whether it's important or not all of a sudden it gets this this boost across all these platforms. And it's like, as a, as a listener or viewer, you're like, is this really important or not? And that's where I think people have lost touch of what's important and what isn't. Yeah. I mean, what I've always tried to do with this show is we're probably not going to break any news and that's fine. I'm not looking to break news, but when you listen to a conversation with Maria Sharapova or Sue Bird or Bubba Watson or uh, Mark Cuban or Arthur Blank, I want you to know a little bit more than you knew about them before. Like you're seeing a different side of them. And I think we've been able to do that. And then if a big decision is made, like I remember a few years ago, well, more than a few years ago now, but when Shaq was traded to the Phoenix Suns, it's like, okay, we could have someone from, you know, the NBA community on to discuss this, or I can call Robert Sarver and have him on and talk about why the Suns made the trade. Cause he's the owner of the Suns, you know, Mark Cuban, Jeannie Buss, like, we're lucky that we can go to the source a lot of times and have an intelligent conversation about why did you make that decision? What was the criteria? And then also, you know, let's get to know a little bit more about the person behind ownership or the person who's running this team. And, and, you know, so I think you kind of have to know your place in the puzzle as well. Well, and then, you know, the other thing, like you'll have an Ian Happ on and, you know, it's such an interesting conversation that immediately I want to start following Ian Happ. And that's where the two work hand in hand uh, well together. Um, I don't need, you know, to follow LeBron. There, are, Every single outlet's going to tell me what LeBron's up to. But, you know, uh, there are others who don't get the, as big of a, a spotlight that are really good follows. Well, and I'll tell you this, um, and I've really seen this in the last two years, the I won't call it explosion because we're not anywhere near where we need to be. We had, you know, Hillary Knight and Janet Evans on the last two week on the show, but 
women's sports is really starting to rise up. And I think the women understand the value of using social media and putting themselves out there beyond just the playing field or the basketball court. And I think people are really starting to embrace this. And they do feel like, I know a little bit about Sue Bird, and I know a little bit about Hillary Knight, and I know a little bit about Maria Sharapova. And that is going to endear them to the fans because they see a different side of them. They see cooperation to tell the story and the passion of things beyond the basketball or soccer field. And um, I just think the women get it a little bit more than the men do as far as like we have a need to grow what we're growing. Yeah, I mean, I, I, having worked in women's sports for the last 20 years, both promoting it, selling it, all of it, it's way, this has been going on way too long. The, the women's games are so, there's certain, like women's tennis, for example, to me personally as a fan is so much more interesting than men's tennis. The personalities are more interesting. The outfits are more interesting. The the matches are actually more competitive and interesting because there are only three sets. I don't. I have no interest in spending four hours watching a men's five setter. Um, women's hoops. The personalities are so great. The coaches in in women in in women's hoops, both at the college level and the and the pro level. And then soccer. I mean, the best story in the last year has been uh, the U.S. Uh, women's uh, national team finally, um, and even even with the the settlement, or, or sorry, the the, um, the verdict, uh, I don't think they got as much as they deserve. You know, that team is so much more interesting uh, than the men's team. The, the women generally are so much more marketable. It's so much easier for a sponsor, you know, to, to select a woman as a spokesperson uh, in soccer uh, than men. So... You know, hopefully that that trend continues. But yeah, if I'm a marketer and a, or an advertiser right now, I am so jumping on any women's sport. So much growth potential there. Or the potential owner of a NBA WNBA team or a WNWSL team. You know, like mm-hmm. the growth opportunities there far exceed growth opportunities for for men. Unless you're getting into the NFL, then that's a different story. Yeah. So NFL is just a monster. It is a monster, you know, and I was at Super Bowl and it was the first time I've been to an NFL game in a while. And it's just a different level than everyone else. It's a different experience. It is a finely tuned machine, both in person and on TV. Um, it's now got some international appeal to it. And, you know, for good or for bad, whatever the NFL does, it, it's going to turn to gold. And well, and again, getting back to talking about the media and who covers what, if you are a kind of an, I guess, a, an old school consumer of sports content, you're probably watching, you know, ESPN on, you know, Xfinity or Spectrum or, you know, some major cable carrier. And you're probably in your car listening to sports talk radio. And again, nobody owns that those two platforms like the NFL, if you're going to follow women's sports, if you're going to advertise or, 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 you know, want to sign a, a, a female athlete to be your spokesperson and, and endorse them, you got to be really clever and creative in, in how you position, you know, them and, and where people follow them because on the old massive platforms, it is just all football all the time. All right, let's end with this. I would say in the last 20 years, we've seen 
the NBA go through kind of a regime change with ownership. So, you know, you've got the Mark Cubans, you've got the Mark Lazarys, um, you know, the new owner in Utah, you've got some new blood coming into the league. So do you want to call it NBA owner 2.0, 3.0? I don't know. We're not seeing that with the NFL. We're not seeing it with major league baseball. We're not seeing it with the NHL. At what point, do you think we might see some fresh blood in those leagues or is it literally going to take these owners dying before we get that injection of new blood? Well, the problem is in the NFL or major league baseball, what are these franchise values at now? I mean, they're just, they're priced so high. I don't think you can buy a, an NBA franchise now for less than what? 2.2 billion. Yeah. Probably about two. And then what would an NFL franchise go for right now? Oh, man. Or like a family like the Bolin family, you know, Pat Bolin dies and the Bolin family decides, you know what, we don't want to be in this business anymore. And frankly, like I've said this locally in Portland with the Paul Allen situation, if the visionary of the team, so the Pat Bolin in the case of the Broncos, his kids and, you know, they were involved in everything, but Pat Bolin was the engine behind the purchase of the team and the decisions the team made and the direction the team went in. If you just hand it off to the kids, it's just an asset. It, they don't have the same level of passion unless they grew up with it. Like I look at Jeannie Buss. Jeannie Buss, if you watch Winning Time on HBO, which I've been able to screen, and I know Jeannie a little bit and she's been on the show, she grew up around the Lakers from the time she was a teenager. So she's grown up in the business. So when her dad passed, she was well-prepared to run the Lakers. It wasn't like, oh, I just got this asset on a spreadsheet and I don't know what I'm doing. With some of these other families who own these teams, I do feel like it's just an asset that landed on their lap and they're like, oh, I'm going to play, you know, like Jody Allen playing owner of the Blazers is ridiculous. She doesn't know anything about pro sports. She doesn't have a passion that Paul had for the Seahawks and the Blazers. Pass it on to someone who has fresh blood, is innovative, and who has a passion for the team or most importantly from the fans perspective has a relationship with that community. Right. And that's, you know, that's clearly what Jeannie has, you know, with, with LA. Right. Uh, she knows her fan base. She knows the history of the club and the players and relationships. Like there's nothing worse than when new ownership comes in and kind of ignores the, the history um, of the players that have played in that market. Um, the, to me, the successful, Ownership groups are the ones that have embraced their players from the past and make them an active everyday part of the team because that's who the fan base knows, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's the other thing is that you, you're seeing every league try to position younger and younger players and pay them less, uh, taking up, you know, the chunk of, of, of the minutes or innings uh, played in games. And um, it's, you know, you got a few superstars who can make a lot of money you know, uh, toward the end of their career, but, but that's not really the case as much. All right. We'll end with this. As I mentioned at the top of the conversation, 32 years ago, basically last week, uh, you and I were calling the Loyola Marymount Lions game against University of Portland. Eric Spolstra was a player on that team and Hank Gathers collapsed and later died. And, you know, a lot of things ensued after that, including an incredible run to the great eight, in the NCAA tournament, but 
When you reflect back on that time in your life and Hank Gathers and the whole Loyola Marymount thing, you know, 32 years later, I can't believe it's been 32 years, but what do you think about it? I think about how short the shorts were back then. <laughs> John Stockton. Start, it's starting to come back a little bit. I mean, we've seen that in a few few teams. Yeah. Um, I think about how that was kind of like, if you think about what is that, the late eighties, early nineties, that was still the, it was still when sport was the competition of the sport was more important than the business of the sport, the marketing of the sport. Hmm. And, you know, if I remember correctly, that 89, 90 season, when LMU went to the um, final eight, the grade eight, that was the last year that the final four was played in like a traditional NBA arena. I think it was in McNichols arena in Denver that year, the final four. Hmm. And I think every season after that, it, it blew up and moved into indoor football stadiums, you know, or just massive venues, um, which made it, you know, really hard to follow you know, in person, but the selling of the sport started to get out of control, uh, with the TV dollars and all that. I think that's the biggest thing. Like you could still go to, to games in really any gym and it was, you know, hot and kind of grimy and, and, and serious competition. Yeah. You know what I was thinking about this week is Hank Gathers and Bo Kimball would have been social media slash NIL stars. They both had such great personalities. They loved the media. They loved engaging fans. They would have been social media slash NIL stars. Don't you agree? Yeah. The other thing too, then is that, you know, we didn't have these phones that, that, you know, we're staring at and I'm talking on right now back then. And so, yeah, all of the, look, I mean, sports is not pretty. It, it is an unglamorous business when you're on the inside and, you know, there's always been stuff going down and a lot of that would have been highlighted, but you just wonder the different eras, you know, what, what was not reported, what was protected back in the day, you know, compared to now how everything is out in the open all the time. Yeah, you're right. I mean, citizen journalists, as, as we call them, you know, they can capture anything at yeah. any time, good or bad. You know, watching that Duke North Carolina game, yeah. K's last game at you know, regular season at, 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 at Cameron. Cameron, that was pretty cool. I mean, that was serious competition. I mean, North Carolina balled in that second half, and that was a incredibly hostile environment. Yeah, I mean, North Carolina didn't get the memo that they're supposed to lay down and, and play nice for Coach K's last game at Cameron. They came in and smoked Duke in that game. Right, and then and then Krzyzewski had to find this balance between being really pissed at his team's performance and also, you know, understanding the, the, how special the moment was for everybody involved. Yeah. He's a competitive guy. You can tell that he's gotten more crotchety and grumpy as the years have gone on. Just his, you know, his face that he has during the handshake line and he'll just give you the scowl. And he he didn't have that 20 years ago, but. And if, and if you're just a, a fan of sport and true competition, I really think this year's men's and women's, um, March Madness Final Fours are going to be fantastic. I think there's so many teams uh, that have a legit shot at making a good run on both the men's and women's side. And that is a good transition into next week's show. Joanne Scott, the 
head of events, basically, for the NCAA. She manages March Madness. She's going to be here on this show, and she always helps us kind of preview what's coming with March Madness. So I know as an ops guy, you like the Peter O'Reilly conversation, and you like that conversation, because they really do take us behind the scenes into what does it take to produce these mega events? I would pay to go to the Super Bowl just to watch the the halftime production, yeah, like the setup, yeah. the show, and the teardown, and then I'll leave. I'm good. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. I've been telling everyone about when I just recently went to the Super Bowl, I'm like, they, they put together that massive stage in about seven minutes, and then yeah. they break it down so you can start the third quarter. And unless you're there, TV does it no justice. And there are some time lapses on social media. But when you're there as event producers like you and me, like when I used to work at the Blazers, a load in for, you know, the Rolling Stones, it takes the whole day. So to see them put together this massive set in seven minutes and break it down in about 10 minutes, you're just like, oh, my God, I've never seen anything like that in my life. Yeah, it's awesome. It's the best. All right, Keith Foreman, my friend, co-founder of Sports Business Radio, longtime sports business executive. Always enjoy our conversations. Thank you. Oh, thank you, B. This edition of Sports Business Radio is presented by Roan. They are the new official menswear partner of Sports Business Radio. I absolutely love their product. I've been a fan of their company for many years now. Roan makes the absolute highest quality, best fitting, and most comfortable performance-driven clothing for men. Their entire line places emphasis on an active, balanced, and purpose-driven lifestyle. I've been wearing their Mako short and rain tech long sleeve for all of my gym sessions. When I'm in person with people, I've been wearing the commuter pant and the commuter shirt. They're both very comfortable. Uh, Roan's flex knit fabric revamps a timeless silhouette and creates a pant that moves with my lifestyle. Same thing with their shirt. And then when I'm working from home, like right now I'm recording in my spar jogger pants, I wear my guru pants and my rain tech hoodie. They become some of my favorite items to wear when I'm working from home. And also when I'm out and about, it's been cold here in Oregon. So I've got my Tundra quilted hooded jacket. It's my favorite jacket now. It keeps me warm, but it's not big and bulky. Roan, is offering Sports Business Radio podcast listeners 15% off your next purchase. Go to Roan.com and enter promo code SBR15 at checkout to receive 15% off your purchase. That's Roan.com, R-H-O-N-E.com, and enter code SBR15 at checkout. Well, that's it for this edition of Sports Business Radio. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks to our show staff, Brian Griggs and Josh Blank. And thanks to our partner, Molka Sports, for powering Sports Business Radio. Learn more about them online at molkasports.com. That's M-A-L-K-A sports.com. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. This and every SBR podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and your favorite listening app. Follow Sports Business Radio on Facebook, Twitter at SB Radio, Instagram at Sports Business Radio, and online at sportsbusinessradio.com. Sports Business Radio is produced by Brian Griggs and Griggs Productions, griggsproductions.com.